You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition, fresh off the Monday afternoon football win on the road against the Buffalo Bills. A lot of questions to answer this week. And here to help me do it are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane. No sleeves for Maddie Lane tonight. What's good, my friend? Listen, the temperature raised back up a little bit today. You know, I was out in the yard doing some yard work. You know, this farmer's tan's got to go. We got to get some sun. Got to get some sun on these arms. You know, you never know when you're going to go on vacation in the middle of winter. So, you know, sleeves off. It's warm out. Chiefs coming off another victory. It's time to bust back out the sleeveless shirts, the short shorts. You know the drill, right, Craig? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys know me. Sleeveless, short shorts. Me and Dave Tobe. We love to hang out inside, <laughs> burning to death. That's exactly what I don't what know we if I would do. associate myself with Dave Tobe anymore. Listen. Like, I think you might want as much distance as possible. When you are the special teams analyst for one Arrowhead Pride, you have to make these sacrifices <laughs> to go and be with the people, with your special teams brethren. So can you please explain to me, since you've taken over this role, how come our kicker cannot connect on an extra point? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Uh, now, he's missing them. Uh, you see, when he's not hitting them straight. They, they're hooking. He's, he's hooking them. That's, or are they slicing? Um. Anyway, uh, let, let's get to the questions, you guys. Dynamite analysis. Hey, that's what that's what you pay me the big bucks for right there, guys. I, I'm going to start this thing off real quick with a take that I have that I almost tweeted out, but like I, I don't know, didn't feel too compelled to do it. What is it that Anthony Sherman does here? Like, Why does he have a roster spot, genuinely, for a lot of different reasons? I think there, I, there might be some questions about what Travis Kelsey did, but like honestly, like this team can do anything that they need to do without him, uh, and they can do it at a high level. So I don't know Dave Tobe's influence on his one of the worst special teams units in football still, Craig? Yeah. Okay. Well, so glad he's getting all that roster influence. Uh, let's go ahead and start answering some of these questions. We have a lot of five-star review questions, a couple of them. Uh, they they populated on the 12th, like right after we like after the podcast posted last week. Um, so, uh, or right, apologies for that. They, I, I, we didn't get to them. So a shout out to the one and only Bat Maniac, Batamaniac, who asked a question that isn't relevant now because things are moving so fast with this season. Uh, I think it was about the Raiders. So let's just get into a couple of these. Chief Boilermaker asks, love the pod. What expect uh, expectations should we have for Le'Veon Bell? Also, for Hollywood Hop, do you have any suggestions for a homebrew beer recipe for this time of year? Sure. Uh, brew yourself a dark saison, age it in some red wine. If you don't want to go that far, make yourself a winter bock. Something that you can set out in your garage and your yeast will be able to tolerate the cold temperatures. And then around Christmas, profit. Um, as far as Le'Veon Bell, I would expect that you're going to see a lot of targets in the passing game. I would expect you're going to see a lot of light box runs similar to what we've seen so far out of Clyde Edwards Lair. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of those third down runs I know everybody's going to hate that but third down runs where the box counts are really really favorable for the Chiefs I also think that you can expect to see a lot of empty the Chiefs like to use some empty I think that they will love to use more empty with Clyde with Le'Veon and get some really good matchups with him out wide I don't know that you're going to see big, big, big target numbers, big rushing attempt numbers, but I think that the efficiency will be very, very good with Le'Veon Bell. I'm not expecting him to come in here and be Pittsburgh-level Le'Veon Bell. I'm just expecting him to come in here and be an 
upgrade over Daryl Williams and just kind of push Clyde. You know, if one of them's having a hot game, roll with that dude. If one of them's not, you know, you, you don't have to have the worry of having to take a step down, a significant step down in talent level. You could just trust Le'Veon Bell to go out there and do his job. New York to KC31 asks, hey guys, love the show. Is it me or do the Chiefs play to the level of competition? I feel like it always, it, it, feel like, it feels like it always, or we always play uh, a poor team or game plan is vanilla. And we play a good team, and we are amped up and ready to go. What do you think, Matty? I mean, I generally think that is true. I've kind of been on that bandwagon for a little while now. When the Chiefs play a team that they feel is quite inferior to them talent-wise or schematically, they go out there and they just, especially on offense, Andy Reid just likes to run his plays, his designs, and expects the talent to beat the other team. And most of the time it does. A lot of times it even results in a blowout. I don't think the Chiefs, Andy Reid, whoever it may be, have that super killer instinct to where they take every game like it's the Super Bowl as serious as possible with the most direct, most game-specific game plan. And that shows because you get the games like Buffalo or the games like against the Baltimore Ravens, and all of a sudden you get the A-plus game plan. You get the A-plus effort at times. You just get a lot more. I think that is a slight flaw that Andy Reid's coaching has always had for his teams, but he knows when to turn it up, and I think that's better than a team that plays 150% every single week except for throws out a stinker in the playoffs or something like that. The Honeycut 43 asks a few questions here. I, we're going to be able to answer them all. He does ask about why the Chiefs didn't draft DK, any injury concerns, some questions about Clyde's usage. Uh, but we'll answer this. You guys touched on a little bit in previous podcasts, but does Mahomes continue to drift back in the pocket because he doesn't trust the offensive line, resulting in the offensive tackles not being able to hold up in protection or possibly that Mahomes trusts his arm that much? He does trust his arm that much. I think that's part of it. He knows what he can get away, and it does stress his tackles at times because they don't always know exactly where he's at. Um, he, I don't think he's always trusted his offensive line personally. That's just my opinion, the way he operates and some of the things he does within the pocket. Even last night, bailing out of a clean pocket, actively trying hard to bounce outside of the right tackle and to his right in a clean pocket. Makes me think that there is a little bit of a lack of trust, um, but we'll see moving forward. We'll see if this offensive line shakeup moving forward occurs too because that could give him a change in, in, in confidence. At least that's just how it looks like to me. After Raiders asks, so now that we know that the team had requested the police, now that we know that that team, he doesn't even acknowledge them by name, requested the police escort to allow them to take a victory lap around Arrowhead, how many touchdown passes do we expect Mahomes to throw? Uh, I, I cannot wait for the next Raiders game. Was that, was I, did I say any of this on the pod last night? A little bit, yeah. I am so excited for Andy Reid out of a bye after our guy, our dear pal Nick Jacobs, reporting that the Raiders wanted to circle Arrowhead. I am looking forward to Raider Cody tears and the Chiefs to beat the brakes off the, off the Vegas Raiders in the Roomba. You have no, I like I, that might be the. I'm not as I'm not as excited about the Tampa Bay game as I am about going to the Roomba and beating them in Vegas. I, ugh, I, I cannot wait for Derek. Derek Carr is going to look terrible in that game too. He's going to get embarrassed in that game because he's going to get sped up the entire game. AP Nerd Squad at gmail.com. Uh, this is from Brian Dorfler. Dorfler, hey team. It's that time of year when we start to hear about players on underperforming teams being made available. This year, a couple of receivers, A.J. Green, John Ross, and any Texan could be available uh, this year. Uh, if you had to pick up one wide receiver off another team that might realistically be available, which one are, we, are you picking, assuming the current contract status, salary implications, etc.? Hashtag Maddie exclusion. You're not allowed to say the Chiefs should just resign Sammy Watkins or Demarcus Robinson. I want wild speculation here based on their skill set and aptitude to fit within the offensive scheme. 
This is tricky because we've kind of talked about this privately, like looking at a lot of these teams that are underperforming on players that we would just want to trade for in general, not just wide receivers, but just players in general. And a lot of these underperforming teams are kind of underperforming because they don't have good players. I, I know that may be shocking, but there's a lot of bad players on bad football teams. So when I'm looking for wide receivers coming from you know some of these teams, I would look at, I mean, if the Cowboys cannot afford to re-sign Michael Gallup because they just paid Amari Cooper because they drafted the best wide receiver from last year's draft in C.D. Lamb, Gallup is wasting away on that team right now. They have too many miles to feed with the quarterback. They can't throw the ball. Dak Prescott is not coming back this season, unfortunately. Gallup is an absolutely stellar wide receiver. If you're willing to pay somebody, you know, good money going forward and you wanted to trade a relatively good asset or a package of assets and a player or something for Michael Gallup and then extend him, I would be all on board with that. I think he would be the perfect X wide receiver to replace Sammy Watkins. He's essentially been used the exact same way in Dallas that we would use Walk or that we've used Watkins in Kansas City. So that would be like the pristine cream of the crop player. Another guy that I think's not as perfect of a fit would be Keelan Cole, wide receiver out of Jacksonville. He's got a little bit more size than some of our guys. They're clearly not going anywhere, but he's speed. He's got a lot of speed. He can get deep. The Chiefs still do like that out of a possession guy, and I don't think Cole's the best possession wide receiver, but he'd be a lot cheaper. He'd have the speed, give you a little bit more size. He might be a little bit more of a short-term option, term option, but he gives you another real weapon that I think would be better than a lot of the guys they fielded this year. Time to jump to the Twitter questions. Our guy, Kay Gubbinger. What is going on with this roster construction? <laughs> Listen, sometimes when you're Andy Reid and you go and you win a Super Bowl, you got to keep things interesting. So you try and stack the deck against yourself a little bit to make the obstacle more difficult for you to go out and win game. No, that's not the case at all. I don't know. You have this many tight ends active, this many running backs active, and this many linebackers active. When you're not actively playing that many of these guys. We finally got to see Darwin Thompson this week for a very small amount of time. It's mostly just been Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Daryl Williams. At tight end, it's mostly just been Nick Kaiser and Travis Kelsey. A little bit of Dion Yelder, a little bit of, now this week, Ricky Seals-Jones. But those guys aren't playing significant special team snaps. They're not playing significant offensive snaps. I don't understand what the roster construction is, to be frank, because it seems like there's positions like interior offensive line that we've seen them attack aggressively in some other off seasons and in some other mid seasons that they're just kind of letting go to waste. I understand that they may like some of these guys, but they have injuries. It doesn't seem like they've really gone out of their way to try and do a whole lot to build up the depth. And instead they've just added at positions that they're not really using all that much anyway. Listen, Anytime you can get multiple guys that are in that awkward six foot three, 240 pound to 250 pound range on the offensive side of the ball that don't particularly run fast, you need to activate as many of those special team stars at a time as you can. Same goes for those guys on defense. I don't know what the plan is. There's a whole lot of running backs. There's a whole lot of tight ends that are getting activated for some reason. They're not being used. They're clearly not being overly effective on special teams, hence the worst special teams unit in the NFL right now. I have honestly no idea what's going on. The Chiefs were very close to running out of offensive linemen to use because they have to keep so many tight ends and running backs active for some reason. Maybe they think that like there's a weight thing going on and they can play two players in place of one lineman in case they need to. I'm not sure what's going on there. I hope it fixes because that offensive line depth is scary. Not just good depth, but just depth in general. They clearly need some help at wide receiver. They need some guys that can help play cornerback, defensive back, whatever it may be. And here we are fielding four tight ends and a fullback and 13 running backs and 17 special team only players is a weird roster construction year, and it's only gotten weirder as the year's gone on. I think it's wild that there's five running backs and an Anthony Sherman on the roster right now. I, that's the one. That and four tight ends. Both of those just, they kill me. I just, 
And Ricky Seals Jones, I've seen enough of Ricky Seals Jones. I know that's going to upset some people that were really excited about Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, just move on. And same, like honestly, same with Anthony Sherman. Just move on. DeAndre Washington, just move on. Like those are the three guys I think I'm looking at when a uh, you know, when a Mike Dana gets back, a Col- oh, well, Kelechi's not going to make, when Colin Saunders, I mean, is going to get back, when when Legereus Sneed is back. I'm moving away from some of these other positions that the Chiefs have so much redundancy on and a lack of need for, it's ridiculous. Uh, Mr. Marshall asks, why did we see Kelsey lined up in the backfield on so many plays? Are they setting something up for the future? I think this is a great opportunity for Maddie to continue to build on what he talked about last night. So this is a tricky one because I do think that Travis Kelsey essentially took over Anthony Sherman's reps, but they didn't use him in the same way. They didn't line him up in I formation and just have him lead the way through a hole as, you know, just a traditional lead blocker. They split the running backs. They offset them. They were split back. A lot of times at a shotgun, they would use Kelsey coming across the formation, getting him into the second level, pushing him out into the flat. They were definitely weaponizing him because he's significantly more athletic than Anthony Sherman, a lot more as a threat, and they were allowing him just to make blocks in space. I think what they're doing with this is there's just a package of plays to help set up stuff going forward. I do think that you might actually see a little bit more two halfback personnel with Le'Veon Bell, Clyde Edwards-Elair. I think this might be a beginning of a package, something they've had in works, you know, for Daryl Williams or Damian Williams and Clyde Edwards-Elair, something they've been working on. They now have the halfbacks to run it now that they've signed Le'Veon Bell. This week just happened to be a good week to kind of start testing it out a little bit because there was no Sherman. Someone else had to take those reps and they said, Instead of letting Travis Kelsey go back there and just be a traditional lead blocker, let's use him in this slightly more exotic way, and it really worked out. I think you are going to see a little bit more of this, maybe with Kelsey, but I think you're going to get a lot of it with the two halfbacks, because if you look at what Kelsey had to do, he was mostly sliding out into the flat, threatening the second level vertically, keeping the linebackers on their heels before making a block in space. He wasn't asked to dig out defensive linemen or... big, strong linebackers playing downhill, trying to thump him in the hole. Not that he couldn't do it, but he just wasn't being asked to do that the way the plays were developed. You could do all those same things with another halfback. They can go out there and cut block a weak side linebacker in space if the guy's sitting on his heels. They can go out there and threaten the flat just to draw some attention their way. I think you are going to see this again. I think you'll see some with Kelsey. Hopefully this is the end of Anthony Sherman reps, by the way. I think this has proven that you can run two quote-unquote guys in the backfield without Anthony Sherman and not lose anything. But I think you're just going to start seeing this more and more as the Chiefs try to develop this package of plays. So I think you only saw the very bland surface of what they have planned. Yeah, I was gonna. I was kind of just going to add, Maddie kind of nailed it, that I, you know, I think you can... Like what they asked Travis Kelsey to do, some of that stuff you can get away with a 205-pound Clyde Edwards-Alaire doing it a couple times to break tendencies and it not always being Le'Veon Bell. Because I think the tendency could be to always treat it like Le'Veon Bell is that guy, uh, but I don't think that's that you can't do that either. I do think there's some things, like if, if they are going to utilize two running backs or two H-backs, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to be able to do, especially if the boxes are going to look like what they looked against the Bills. And I'm sure we're going to get there at some point here. Uh, but <laughs> I've got some, I've got some thoughts on that too. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience, because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Continuing to answer your questions here on the AP Laboratory Mailbag Edition, Bearded Teach 87 asks if you reset both backs to zero starting next week. Who finishes with more yards, Le'Veon Bell or Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Clyde Edwards-Alaire, because he's going to get more opportunities. I, If you look at their career numbers to date, and I realize Clyde has a very, very young career right now, it's very similar. Clyde has a little bit better yards per rush. Le'Veon Bell and Clyde are almost identical in like yards per target, yards per reception. I just think that it, they're going to be deployed in similar ways. And it's weird to say this, but Le'Veon Bell is your quote-unquote big back now at 225 pounds. But he's going to get maybe a little bit more of those shorter yardage situations. Going to be asked to maybe go out there and get three on a third and two. And so I think that you're going to see a lot more Clyde on early downs. I think you're going to see more games like this Buffalo game for Clyde. So I just think based on pure reps here that Clyde is going to outdo Le'Veon Bell for the rest of the year. Uh, Chiefs Lutz 11 asks, what would you say the identity of the 2020 Chiefs team is? Oh my. I think it's still Patrick Mahomes is the identity. Like even in, <laughs> even in the game that is going to be the biggest, I think outlier in terms of how the chiefs are going to win and their most effective and best rushing game of the season. As Kent put it very clearly on our post game show, Patrick Mahomes was pretty darn close to perfect in that game. Like the stats aren't super gaudy by Patrick Mahomes standards, but when you factor in he's playing behind three offensive linemen that were not playing positions they practiced all week as a starter, the fact that he's without his best possession wide receiver, and the fact that you know they're playing in the rain, he still ended up with 250-ish yards, multiple touchdowns, completed over 50% of these third downs, including some longer ones and big plays. He ran for a couple other big plays on some scrambles. Like, he played an exceptionally good football game, and no one's really talking about it because the running game was so effective. But, I mean, that's their identity. It's just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. And, I mean, defensively, I think it's the ability to confuse opponents. Like, you could pin it down to a lot of different stuff, but I think Steve Spagnuolo is still the best way I can define what the Chiefs defense is. His ability to mix and match so many different things on the front end, the back end, have it all work together, and just how different it can be from game to game or drive to drive. I mean, he made Josh Allen look like rookie Josh Allen for three and a half quarters. He made the guy look absolutely horrendous because he was extremely uncomfortable with what was coming at him. Like, as fun as it is to say Chris Jones, Frank Clark, or even Tyler and Matthew is the identity of the defensive team right now I think it's the scheme and Steve Spagnuolo yeah I would agree with all of that and I'll, I'll even go down to as pinpoint as the defensive line I think at this point last year we were starting to question a little bit of what was happening when the defense is going to click together but by the end of the year you saw that Spagnuolo's scheme was what was getting the most out of a lot of these guys we saw the secondary make massive strides, and that's kind of what carried them over the line last year. I think it's actually flipped a little bit that even though the passing numbers are great and the secondary is not playing poorly here, and I don't mean to indicate that they are, I just feel like the defensive line is getting after the quarterback at a much better rate than they did last year. We're seeing much better play overall. We're seeing a dialed-up pressure package from Steve Spagnuolo. You're getting to see some of that foundation finally getting to be built on. So I'll go as far as to say the defensive line and the way that they're getting after the passer but it is Mahomes. I mean, as much as I love defense and I want it to be defense, it's it's always going to be Patrick Mahomes for the next 15 years. So the Chiefs are 5-1, and one, and the Chiefs have the best player in the world, clearly, hands down. And yes, I do think a lot of their identity is just, hey, we have the best player in the world. I do kind of understand, I think, where Chiefs Lutz is and why Chiefs Lutz is asking this question because – it does not feel like the Chiefs are being able to dictate the game the way they want to. I think teams are dictating 
how the game is played for the Kansas City Chiefs offense in a lot of different ways. And I think what it is is we're going to let you run the football. We're going to let you throw it short. And I think that's boring for a lot of people watching the Chiefs, fo- the Chiefs games right now. But I do think the Chiefs aren't getting to – I mean, it's weird because the Chiefs are definitely asserting themselves – but it's they're asserting themselves in the sense that everyone is so terrified of them and they're just content with letting them run and and take the easy stuff all the way down the field, tighten up in the red zone and hope they make a mistake slash hope you can hold them to a field goal. Like that feels it feels like everything's being dictated to them right now. Uh even though dictating is basically just giving up easy stuff all the way down the field. Um when Mahomes is when Mahomes needs it, he's going to be able to do some of those things that you think you know that you want him to. I think it's on the Chiefs the rest of the season though, to just just really just hammer people with the short passing game, the the easy stuff, and hammer people in the run game and make it even diffi- more difficult for teams to be that patient. You've got to outpatient the Chiefs in some regard, uh, and the Chiefs have to be patient enough and willing to kind of lay up. And I don't think that's always been the case for Mahomes. I think Mahomes has been a little bit impatient this year in some situations. I think that's part of why there's been some inconsistencies there too. Uh, And Russell just asks, Nick Allegretti is the Wreck-It Ralph of the offensive line. Not a question, just a fact. Good job, N. Russell. Vitamin J, are there any free agent or cheap trade candidates you would like to see targeted to get more offensive line depth? Again, we've talked about this privately a lot. I don't think a lot of the bad teams have guys they're going to like the only good interior offensive linemen or just offensive linemen in general are guys just drafted in the last one or two years on these bad teams. Everybody else is bad. Bad football teams have bad offensive lines. I mean, if you have a good offensive line, you're not terrible. So finding a player that I think would help you that's going to be available is really hard on the offensive line. It's just not a position that's traded often. I will say, and I'm not a huge fan of him, but given the lack of depth and just what the Chiefs have put out overall throughout the season on the interior offensive line, Minnesota Vikings' Pat Elfline, he's played all three interior positions. He's been on the IR since week two, and I think it's more of he kind of lost his starting job to Drew Samia after he went on IR. That's why he hasn't come back. It was just for a thumb injury. He hasn't been great in the NFL so far, but he's got the versatility to play across all three positions. He's a guy that's been in zone blocking schemes before. I don't know if he fits what the Chiefs are trying to do with a little bit more power, but he's just a guy that does have talent. That's why he was drafted relatively high. He could be available, maybe not cost a whole lot of draft capital to get back because again, he's not starting. That's about the kind of player I think you would be willing to swing in a mid-season trade or even just a free agent signing if you wanted to go that route on the interior offensive line. Jake from SF15, what is Anthony Hitchens doing over the last two weeks to make him look like the player Brett Veach brought him in to be? He's taking what he's seeing and he's putting it on the field. You're, you're seeing that he is a high-processing player he gets through his keys pretty quickly, but you're seeing him translate that into explosion and getting downhill. When you look at that first big deep shot that Josh Allen took this week that Anthony Hitchens absolutely laid him out, that was on a flea flicker. Anthony Hitchens flows with the play very well, has a gap covered, and as soon as he sees the running back turn around, pivot and toss it back, he clicks translates quicker when everybody else is still flowing with the play Anthony Hitchens is shooting the gap getting into the backfield and he is pressuring Josh Allen forcing the overthrow you're just seeing a lot more of that that's what he's doing that's what he's able to translate onto the field is taking those things that he's seeing and just making his body move in the positions that it needs to do after that. I understand that it seems like that's a thing that everybody should be able to do, but when you're tasked with setting the fronts, when you're tasked with reading all this stuff, sometimes there's a lot on your plate. Now that he's got the foundation for Spagnuolo's defense, you're starting to see from a snap-to-snap basis, he's just playing quicker because his mind's moving quicker, and he's able to get his body move quicker in, in conjunction with all of that. For the most part, I think Craig's nailing this one here. I think he's getting a little bit cleaner reads from some of the defensive line. I think the defensive line is playing a little bit more gap sound than they have in the past. And I think 
the games where Anthony Hitchens has been the best has been the games where the defensive line has been the most gap sound. I think you saw at the beginning of the year, it was a little bit of the same defensive line stuff, and that's kind of teetered off to where now they're playing a little bit better as a unit. All of a sudden, Anthony Hitchens is playing a little bit better. They're doing a good job. Well, two things. The team as a whole is doing a better job playing in their lanes, in their gaps, following their assignment, and that makes it easier for a linebacker to follow his keys and thus make a play. Secondly, teams are running inside, it seems, a lot more this year against the Chiefs. I mean, it's, they've never not run inside against them, but the Chiefs have been relatively decent about stopping some outside runs despite the lack of speed at the second level. Teams are attacking them up the middle when you're going to put the ball in between the tackles, and that's kind of where Anthony Hitchens wants to live. So you're running into his best area in terms of how he plays. So when you pair that with defensive linemen generally playing a little bit more assignment sound, I think you're getting the best of Anthony Hitchens right now. And we can't write off the fact that, hey, it's another year in a system. Maybe he's feeling really comfortable in it and everything's just starting to click. Like I can't, that's very much a possibility too. But from what I'm seeing, his job is being a little bit easier because of the teammates in front of him. And I think teams are kind of running into his strength rather than into his weakness. Tomas Ramirez asks, was Austin Ryder the problem? Because Daniel Kilgore showed more power and push and looked good. I hope they stick with Nick Allegretti at left guard. He was moving guys. Also, does Martinez Rankin go to right guard if healthy? I don't think Austin Ryder was good. I don't know if he was the problem. Like, I don't know if just exchanging him for Kilgore makes a big difference in this game, this particular game or games in the past. I don't think Austin Ryder's been good for the Chiefs. I don't think he's been so bad that I can pinpoint him as the actual issue, though. That said, whatever was happening this weekend worked really well. I do follow a few Buffalo Bills, you know, good quality analysts on Twitter. They don't have a very good interior defensive line in terms of stopping the run. They have been dying for a real nose tackle, somebody, you know, to replace Star Lutulele as he's not playing right now. They don't have that, so this was a good game for your offensive line to say, hey, we're bigger and stronger than you, we're just going to run straight ahead. That's kind of what the Chiefs did. I hope Allegretti plays over Mike Rimmers going forward. I don't think Mike Rimmers has looked particularly good. He needs to stay as the swing tackle, which is just as scary as Cameron Irving was at offensive tackle. Let's not get too carried away with anything there. But Allegretti looked good replacing Coleccio Simile. I don't know what Martinez Rankin's going to do. I don't know how healthy he is. I don't know how he looks. I don't know if the Chiefs like what Andrew Wiley's done. I don't think Wiley's been particularly good this year either. And if they had somebody to replace him, I wonder if they would have mixed that up too already. But Austin Ryder should have to earn the job back from Daniel Kilgore. And Allegretti should have to lose the job. There should be no way for Rimmers to get it back unless Allegretti makes big mistakes because he was just that much better than anything we've seen out of Mike Rimmers this season. I think I said this last week. It's a tough ask, I think, for Martinez Rankin to get involved here now. I think it's a. I mean, he hasn't practiced, so like that's 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 going to be a real big ask for him with this off season. Um, I would like to see Nick Allegretti starting this week, uh, and I don't know if I don't really. I don't think I don't think Austin Ryder was the problem, but. I don't like. I also like. I kind of echo Matty's sentiment. I don't think he was particularly good either. It's it's a weird spot to be. Kilgore was fantastic though, and so was Allegretti. Chandler W seventy eight. Where does Lucas Niang fit in in a year or two? That's a fantastic question. If he was around right now, if he did not feel uncomfortable with the COVID situation for his own health and his family, we'd have a better idea. Would he be ready to step in for Mitchell Schwartz if he had to leave the game and not have to play Mike Rimmers? We don't know. I would like to say that next year, if Mitchell Schwartz is unable to keep playing, if he wants to retire, if his body just isn't holding up, that Lucas Nyang is ready to step in and we hopefully won't miss a beat. We just have no clue. There's been no chance for us or really the Chiefs coaching staff to get a whole lot of interaction or eyes on Lucas Nyang in the NFL. Nobody has any clue what he's going to be. I think as a prospect, he profiles very well to an offensive tackle. I would like to say that within a year of getting work with some NFL coaching, he'd be ready to start. Is that pushed back an extra year now, though? Is he getting the kind of coaching he needs independently to get be ready next year? Or is he going to need another year after that because of me kind of missing out on the season? It's something we're going to find out next year, but he needs to be ready sooner than, rather than later because it doesn't look like Mitchell Schwartz. He just is dealing with a lot of nagging injuries. 
Once a back starts to go, once ankles start popping up every single season, it's usually a quick downturn from there. Eric Fisher's contract's up in two years. Lucas Niang needs to be ready by the time that one of those guys leaves. Graver Tanner asks, is the offensive line line's performance sustainable or was the Bills' front seven just really bad? The thing about the Bills' front seven is, is that it was really a front six. And they were playing with light boxes the entire day. They were resigned to allowing... And look at the depth of the linebackers even, too. They were resigned to playing... Uh, to you know, take away the deep stuff in the passing game and let the let the Chiefs run the football. Now, this is not the first time that the Chiefs have played with light boxes, and this is not the first time that the Chiefs have ran with even numbers too, especially with Travis Kelsey Kelsey inserted in there. It's not the first time that they've run with even boxes. It is the first time, one of the first times this whole season that they've had a ton of success the way that they did. Um, I don't know how sustainable it is for some of the reasons that Maddie said. Um, I believe Harrison Phillips was a healthy scratch, as was Trent Murphy this week. Um, they tried to make a statement, mix some things up. Uh, an undrafted free agent was uh, was playing a lot of snaps this week, so it's kind of it's it's difficult to say entirely whether or not you know this is a sustainable performance. What I will say, it's the best that they've looked, even in these situations where teams have challenged them with even numbers in the box. I think that's something you've got to be encouraged by, and I think you got to at least give it another shot moving forward. I think, again, Dan Kilgore and Nick Allegretti, I think you need to put them in the mix. Uh, Leighton Y44 asks, how, is Tano, how has Tano Passanio performed so far this year compared to expectations? It's hard to really place a lot of that. I had high expectations for him as a guy that Steve Spagnuolo could use and weaponize in a lot of ways. But frankly, he hadn't done particularly well. He's got the lowest pressure rate of any pass rusher, not, you know, as a guy that lines up at, at nose tackle. Like Mike Pinnell, Derek Nottie, Turk Wharton aren't getting those pass rusher reps that, you know, Tano Passigno is. But he's just not getting there at a good clip. Now, he's been used everywhere. He has played defensive end for 75% of his snaps. He's played inside for the other 25% of the snaps, even kicking down at some nose tackle and some three-man fronts. They're using him all over the place. They're using him on the spear for a lot of stunts. So it's not just a situation where they're saying, tee off, go get the passer. Now, he still has plenty of reps like that. He's not converting those. And frankly, he hadn't been great against the run either. So he's disappointed slightly but he's also being used to set a lot of other guys up so I'm not mad at him being on the field I think he's a smart player I think he's translating a lot of what he can do on the field it just remains to be seen if that's ever going to convert into a big pressure and sack rate that Steve Spagnuolo needs his defensive ends to have Derek Freeland asks, Byron Pringle made the most of his opportunities on Monday. What else does he need to do to get more snaps? If I knew, I would assume Byron Pringle would then know and do it. But I don't think anyone knows at this point in time. I mean, when you listen to the Chiefs coaching staff, whether it's Lewis, whether it's BNME, whether it's Tobe, everybody likes him. They all talk highly of him. So I don't think that it's anything about his character. When he does get opportunities on the field, whether it's high volume, moderate volume, low volume, he makes the most out of all of them. He'll go on the field for six plays and somehow make a catch or a block. He'll go on the field for 27 plays, make two catches, one of which on third down. He'll be the focal point of the receiver group against the Indianapolis Colts and be the only wide receiver on the team that can do anything. Like, it doesn't matter what's asked of him. When given the opportunities, he produces and looks really good doing so. That said... The Chiefs coaching staff's not just blindly keeping him on the bench for no reason. There is something that we don't know that keeps him from being on the field, and I would assume it has to be a lack of knowing the playbook or just fully understanding it because you see maximum effort. He has quality speed. He has good size. He runs very good routes that can be on time, used across the middle of the field or on timing routes. He has, like I said, the size to get off the press and the line of scrimmage. He can do everything you need from a wide receiver to do. He just isn't getting on the field. I don't know what it is. There's something missing behind the scenes. That said, Byron Pringle is going to be a wide receiver that Two years from now, he's going to have a very good season. He's going to have 900 yards, eight touchdowns for a team, and everyone's just randomly going to go, 
Where did this outlier season come from? And he might never ever repeat it. It might just be one year, but he's going to do it when he's put in the right situation, a couple injury luck, a team that's always playing from behind something. He's going to have an explosive big year for a team sometime in the NFL, and it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise, except for Chiefs fans who saw him do it when he got the opportunities. He just really was never given them. Shout out to Reddy Aim Lion, who also kind of had a Byron Pingle question. I think we've kind of answered a lot about him. Bama fan seven, Tedrick Thompson has played two snaps in the last two games. Is that more because of Juan Thornhill uh, working his way back from injury? Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Tedrick was seeing rotational snaps early, and then he was seeing dime snaps when Antonio Hamilton was a little bit banged up. And the Chiefs didn't have some quality corners on the outside when Triberius Ward was hurt. So Rashad Fenton currently is getting those dime reps, and they're not bringing on a fourth safety in those dime situations. So there's just really not been an opportunity for Tedrick Thompson to get on the field because yeah, they, they think that Juan is more than enough up to speed to handle the full load. Matt Crocker, 89. Are we seeing a more conservative offense as a way to keep defense rested? Uh, a quick strikes are fun, but put def- the defense on the field quickly. Wondering if Andy is changing some philosophy up especially on early drives. I think there's some validity to that because of what Andy Reid said today in the press conference. Um, he wants, he doesn't want to put the defense in a, in a stressful situation. Um, I think there is some intent on trying to drive the ball down the field a little bit with, you know, eating up some clock. It is boring and it is not the full capacity that we've seen from this offense in the past. I think, you know, I, they're holding some stuff back. They're going to have plenty in the chamber for the playoffs and the playoff run. Um, but I think it is a little bit boring at times. And I do think that they are trying to be, I don't want to say conservative because of the, just entirely because of the defense to keep the defense rested. But I think there's some truth there, especially the way Andy presented it. I love this question. Derek Litke asks, which of the nine teams ahead of the Chiefs in 2017 would Patrick Mahomes have had thrived at if he had gotten drafted by one of them? Love the question. Kent, you know you got to give me a better warning on questions like this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the easy way out because I don't want to go through all the teams. I think if Patrick Mahomes, oh, I got to go ahead of the Chiefs. I can't even use the Bills as an option. <sighs> I know the answer. Yeah, go ahead. Let me go last. You go. Let let it's the San Francisco 49ers. Shannon Kyle Shanahan's gonna get everything out of him. And even if he doesn't get everything out of him, I still think he has a lot of success early. I mean, you saw even that year in 2017 that they showed a pulse offensively of all those teams Browns, Bears, Niners, Jags, Titans, <laughs> yeah, Jets, Chargers. Panthers, Bengals, it's the Niners. Shanahan was there. That's who I think it would have been. What do you think, Maddie? The Los Angeles Chargers, I think, is a pretty darn good one. I Even with their injuries uh, throughout the years, they've always been a relatively competitive football team. They have weapons galore for Patrick Mahomes to work with. Their weakest thing has been offensive line, but uh, hey, welcome to Kansas City, guys. So, I mean, I feel like the Chargers would actually be, number one, the worst case scenario for a Chiefs fan, but number two, a pretty good spot for him to go to. I The only downside is it kind of means that your coaching staff's probably going to stay a little bit longer, you know, even if it's not the best coaching staff, just because he's going to be good enough. But I just, I think with those weapons, with what they've been able to accomplish with lesser quarterbacks, significantly lesser quarterbacks, the way they've been able to build up that defense, that team would be pretty scary if you get Patrick Mahomes on there. Why do you want Patrick to get hurt? Maddie, I don't think you liked. I don't think you liked the Niners answer all that much. So my issue with the Niners answer is, I think it'd be a waste because I don't think Kyle Shanahan's going to change his offense to let a quarterback be a quarterback a ton. I think it's still going to be play action heavy based on run angles, and I just, as well as Matt Ryan did in that system, I don't want to see Patrick Mahomes wasted into running play play action boot pa waggle throwback to Madden two thousand two. Denver Broncos playbook, but just running, you know, throwing to a tight end, crossing the field after play action every single play. That is not where I want to see Patrick Mahomes go. Oh, I think he would. And I actually think that would help help 
like I think that's one of the developmental arcs that like would have helped him actually. Oh, he'd be fine um, at it. It just wouldn't be the same Patrick Mahomes because he would rarely get a drop back to actually pass. But I don't think that he would have been the same Patrick Mahomes in very many situations, frankly. I think this was literally the perfect situation for him, genuinely. Uh, I think I think they could have developed I think the I think the Niners would have done a fine job developing him, honestly. And I think I think Shaney would have would have changed some things up for him. And honestly, getting Patrick Mahomes and letting him move on on boot actions and stuff, like I think they could have done some different stuff. M A K C O four one A over under on ten touches for Le'Veon Bell against the Broncos on Sunday. I'm gonna go under but barely. Uh, and watch, he's going to get 20 carries now. <laughs> I think they'll ease him in. I think they'll have a couple packages in place for him and let him kind of ease into this whole thing. Um, it's not an easy, you know, he hasn't played a ton this year as it is. Uh, it's been a crazy couple weeks, and he's going to go play an elevation. I think he'll be on a, a reduced snap count this week. BT and KC, if the Jets are doing a fire sale, who do we need? Uh Maddie, I know you've kind of answered this a few times. Just answer it again. I mean, well, since I have, you know, freedom of all positions, uh, they can send Marcus May safety over our direction. I would love to replace Daniel Sorensen with Marcus May. Get me a guy that's a little bit younger, uh, essentially better in just about every single thing that Daniel Sorensen does. That would be the first one. I'm going to Maddie answer it and go ahead and take a second one. Hey, Chuma Adoga, send over your backup offensive tackle. You know, if you're not going to trade Mekhi Becton, which rumors, heavy emphasis on rumors, are that they're accepting calls on everybody not named Mekhi Becton. I would give up a lot for Mekhi Becton. I'll make that known right now. I would give up a whole lot of draft capital to get Mekhi Becton. But mm-hmm. if I can't, I like Chuma Doga. I actually think he has a chance to be a quality offensive tackle in the NFL. I think that you could trade for him if you're the Chiefs. You could still sit him for the rest of this year, maybe even some of next year if Lucas Niang comes back ready to go. There's, I think, two guys that could help you that are younger. One could help you now. One could help you in the future. Okay. I got to go with Nathan Shepard. A uh, guy that a lot of Chiefs fans really liked. Isn't he 40 now? He's probably 40 now. I don't need him to be here for the long term, Kent. He can come play defensive line for me. He's got Spagnolo size. He's, you know, he's over 315. So, and he plays a power game. He's got a little bit of burst. I, I think he would be a quality addition to the roster, but that's not who I really want. Everybody jumped all over the Avery Williamson story about how the Jets were accepting a 2022 fifth-rounder for him. Man, I don't want Avery Williamson. I want the guy behind him, Blake Cashman. Guy that came out of the draft last year, my guy. He's got short arms, sure, but he is in the 90th percentile in 40 and 3-cone, and he is a significantly better coverage linebacker than Ben Neiman. My knock on him coming out was that he struggled a little bit with processing the run game and that he needed to develop that. Guys, I don't need him to process the run game. Ben Neiman doesn't process the run game. So stick him in there as the dime linebacker. Have him cover. Get a faster player, a smart player that can cover a little bit better than Ben Neiman on the field. Speaking of linebackers, Ben White, 485, asks, we didn't see much of Willie Gay this week. Was I imagining things, or did he have limited snaps, and why? He had limited snaps, and it's because the Chiefs didn't play any base defense because the Buffalo Bills don't use heavy personnel very often. When they did even go to two running back sets, the Chiefs trotted their dime out there, not even their nickel. So it's just a, a game flow and personnel flow. Bills just don't use heavy personnel, so Willie Gay doesn't get to see the field. D Silky Ten asks, with Austin Ryder being benched, how big of a need is the center position heading into next offseason? Chiefs seem to find bargain bin free agents that come in and perform above expectations. See Osemele, Wisniewski, Remmers. Do they stick to this model or spend a high draft pick? I don't know if I would say all three of those guys have performed better than expectations. I would actually say the Chiefs' desire to spend very little on interior offensive line has caught up with them a little bit, and that's how you see them going out and trying to... I mean, Kelechi Simley definitely performed very well for how much you paid, but it's not like he was a random guy off the street. He had been very good in the past, was just coming off a shoulder injury. I think that there is a need for the Chiefs to get a quote-unquote guy, you know, the lead guy in there in that interior offensive line. It, at one point in time was Mitch Morse. 
They had to let him go because they couldn't afford him. They have failed to replace to have a kind of leader on the inside of that interior offensive line, a guy that they can use kind of as the linchpin on most of their runs and things like that. I do think whether it's center or offensive guard, they need to add somebody of a higher draft value, higher monetary value going into next season. I do think that they were interested in Cesar Ruiz this past season. I think that he was taken before they had a chance to draft him. I think that he was one of the guys that they had their eyes on that just happened to go before. I would not, I don't feel great in saying they would have taken Clyde Edwards Hilaire over him if he was available when they had their draft pick come up. So yeah, I do think that they are going to spend money or draft capital on an interior offensive lineman before next season. It's just a matter of center guard. And I think that depends on how Allegretti plays, how Daniel Kilgore plays, if Martinez Rankin comes back, so on and so forth. All right, that's going to do it for the AP Laboratory Mailbag. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to be listening to everything we have on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast channel. We'll catch you later. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.